Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on April the 4th, 2012. For newcomers, help yourself to the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com and hopefully you can wade through lots of information which really will spell out to you in detail how the world is really run and how it's always been run by very rich organizations interlinked through foundations and central banking and global banking. Uh, these guys were the merchant bankers of the Middle Ages and later Middle Ages too. And they decided it was quite easy to take over the world if you controlled the cash. And it's never really changed. So the, in the 20th century, of course, they really came out full-blown with their new system. And uh, the big organization which helps run this for them is the Royal Institute of International Affairs or Council on Foreign Relations in the States and elsewhere. So help yourself to the audios and you'll get uh, the names of different uh, authors and uh, with their books that to explain this to you, written by the big boys themselves, this ordered planned society they're bringing us all through and into. So help yourselves. And as I say too, if you want to keep me going, you can buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com and uh, uh, you can also from the U.S. remember use personal check or an international postal money order from your post office or you can send cash or use PayPal across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. But really, I, I chronicle really the, what's happening today and go back into the writings of big players for this organization who wrote their memoirs or lots of books on their agendas. Uh, stuffy stuff, really, that people didn't want to read. And, and they lay on their shelves for a long, long time in their libraries. I was just amazed to go into the library and find out that even books like Tragedy and Hope and things like that hadn't been read for about 30 years. It's astonishing. And, uh, and yet they lay out the whole agenda for the populations of the world, including a, a global governmental system and, and so on. And lots of other books, too, by the big players. You know who they are because they appear once in a while on television, uh, the, the guys who are the technocrat type, the ones who have more power than politicians, go across the world. They're not elected into their positions, and uh, they can do as they wish. They get the big jobs done without bothering about democracy or people's rights, like Kissinger and the Brzezinski's. And even old David Rockefeller himself, it goes across the world in his 90s giving speeches at global meetings about the same agenda he's been on, on about for all, all his whole life, in fact. They never stop. They never stop because they're dedicated as an, a, a religion, basically. And they have the whole world's web system set up with their organizations all interlinking together. They've covered every aspect of society from education onwards and all the new kinds of education they're getting to, always preparing the next generation for the world that is ordered to be brought in, that they will live through in their lifetime. So they'll adapt to it very quickly, thinking it's all quite natural, as we all did as well. So you've got to really go into archives to get any truths at all about the system 
that works upon us. Uh, again, too, even the regular media is all owned uh, by the members of the Council on Foreign Relations or Royal Institute of International Affairs. Always has been for a hundred years. And their job is to prepare you generally, to give you a good story, it's to prepare you for what's coming so that you'll adapt almost subconsciously to it before it happens and you'll behave in the way uh, that you're, you're trained to behave, which is to succumb to it, accept it, adapt to it, and just put up with it. Uh, the mainstream also gives you lots of trivia to divert you from what's really happening. When you see a blitz of trivia, it's because something big is happening somewhere and they don't want you to find out about it. We're really, really managed very well in this scientific uh, controlled society. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, we're back cutting through the matrix and it's astonishing, all, always astonishing to, to have what you already know reiterated and verified over and over and over again, but it's, I guess it's important to the general public to be brainwashed all the time and, and they give us such pathetic, trivial, uh, childish type answers and excuses and stories to throw us off track rather than have us say, you know, we're under totalitarianism. And that's the bottom line. We are under totalitarianism, have been for quite some time. But here's an article, for instance, here. It says, the National Security Agency is facing claims that its new spy center in Utah will have the power to monitor ordinary Americans. It's amazing how they pick Utah for everything. Uh, the FBI love to recruit from Utah. And, and even special forces sometimes send their guys to train in, in the university down there, too. But anyway, anyway, it's an intelligence expert, James Bradford, or Bramford it is. So right away, you've got an intelligence expert, supposedly called James Bramford, recently interviewed a whistleblower who claimed that the NSA has software, software that is able to search through the emails, phone calls, and texts of U.S. citizens in an article published in Wired magazine. Now, how many articles over the last few years have we seen where they've admitted the same thing in the mainstream? How many times, really? You're taught over and over that you're being watched, listened to, and so on. Everything recorded and kept, yada, yada, yada. It says, but Mike Baker, a former cover field operations officer for the CIA, told Fox News that the paranoia surrounding the billion-dollar project was understandable, yet exaggerated. It's all exaggerated, you understand. Adding that the main problem is the size of the data collection warehouse. It's nothing to do with the fact they're watching and listening to all of you. No, no, no. It's just the size of the, of the warehouse that scares you, you see. The fact that they're building a new data center isn't news, Baker told Fox News. They've got several other similar facilities, quite a few dozen probably, I bet you. The size of this is what is creating the stir, just the size of it. Not, nothing to do with you being pried upon, snooped upon, listened to, recorded, and everything else. Right? Once built, the Million Foot Center will be more than five times the size of the U.S. Capitol. Five times the size, more than five times the size. And we'll use an estimated $40 million of electricity paid by the taxpayer, of course, every year according to one estimate. $40 million worth of electricity. This is quite a, a deal to land for the electric company that supplies them, eh? But it's all old school tie. But Baker said the scale of the center is perhaps necessary because of the potential threat to the U.S.'s national safety. It suddenly happened, bro. We've got threats to the national safety, you see. 
Number one threat we face today as a nation, frankly, is not Iran. That means all his bosses are liars. It's not actually the war on terror. He's verifying that his bosses are liars. He told the channel. He says it's cyber warfare. It's the daily astounding number of attacks against our government infrastructure and our private sector. The amount of electronic or economic espionage that's directed at our country on a daily basis would stun the American public. So the NSA has both a defensive and offensive requirement. The former intelligence officer said most people's suspicions were unfounded. There's a tendency on the average American to think their life is fascinating enough for the government to want to surveil them all the time, to collect information on them. Well, all the previous articles for the last 10 years have said that, you see. They were all awfully important because they got us all categorized. Even the Pentagon said they've got a virtual you in, in their, their Pentagon system. And, and the, by getting all your daily data uploaded, which folk do quite willingly, they add to the personality profile of you, the little virtual reality you, and they actually play games on it to see how you react in a real life situation. But no, this guy is saying it's all because, it's all unfounded. Oh, it's all nonsense. <laughs> Why are you worried about it? He says, I come from the other side of this, having spent the time and looked behind the curtain. I honestly say that they don't care about the average American. That's not the point of the ex- exercise. What rubbish. What rubbish. You see, in a totalitarian system, you have to study totalitarian systems. The most important person of all was the average person. Look at the Stasi in East Germany before uh, they changed their system. They had one in four of civilians spying on the rest. Everybody is important. Because, you see, in totalitarian societies, the most average person can have his little uh, aha moment sort of thing and, and uh, say something that, that's true to other people and it kind of wake them up. It shocks them. You have to make sure that everybody is predictable in a totalitarian system. So what a rubbishy excuse for, for children. They treat you like children with the rubbish they, they, they heap out of the uh, the rubbish pit for the public. And that's what they expect us all to believe. It's just the size of the place, mind you. No, no. no. They have to build something five times the size of Washington, D.C. Uh, to, to get to get people ha- trying to hack into government computers. Really? Uh-huh. Okay. So, but that's what they feed you. Isn't it? They feed, well, the mushrooms, you know, we see the sky once a day when they open the lid and, and put the dung on us and close it again. Now, while they're doing all this, too, that they've got people into this new system of, of basically portable computing, which is the, their brain they're talking about. This is Google. It says, Google goggles are here. Watch video of the mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. I don't want anything that boggles my mind, you know, artificially. Technoglasses, which layers maps, email, and web searches over your view of the world. And it goes on about their, their glasses unveiled via a Google Plus page. Project Glass are voice-controlled and offer GPS directions as well as email and video chat through a built-in screen directly in front of a user's eyes. Oh, what fun. What fun, eh? The glasses are a product of Google's Google X Blue Sky Ideas Lab, and the search giant is looking for ideas to improve them. You know, you, ah, well, you can't tell people, that, because they will buy this up like crazy. Youngsters will. think it's fantastic because they fall over things and break their, their necks, you know. But it, anyway, it says... Um, and demonstrations, the glasses are mainly voice control using voice commands to bring up contacts. There's enough people blathering around, uh, around you if you go into a town nowadays or in a city. They're all yapping into the ether, right? So here's another thing to make them yap all the more. 
And so, so they voice control the glasses using voice commands to bring up contact, send emails and search. Now they can vocalize their emails to everybody around them. I mean, I don't want to hear that. The, the glasses appear to run a variant of the Android operating system using the same microphone icon and other recognizable parts. It says the glasses appear to run a variant of the Android system. No, this is another part two. is to do with the mobile part of it I'm looking for here. It says, we think technology should work for you. Yeah, right. To be there when you need it and get out of your way when you don't, says Google. And the glasses layer information over the world and offer directions. So if, for all the idiots know where they're going, as well as allowing users to locate one another in the real world, as with Google's current latitude system. So it's all part of the interfacing system of computerization and humans uh, that they're, they're really pushing for. Until people with the glasses won't know where they're going, you know, anymore, because you want to remember where they're going or how to get there. Oh, dear, but uh, that's the stuff we're getting. It's all to alter your brain, you understand? Anything artificially inserted in your mind is not for your fun or use. There's always a purpose behind it, even if you think sometimes it's fun. So be very careful. For those who've got a mind, still got a mind of their own, be awfully careful. It's the same with these games too that massage your brain. What, what, what way is saying the massaging your brain? Waves could actually um, catch basically your, your thought patterns as you think. And you could work in the games with it. But in reality, it sends all that back to your bosses. You know, like that place in Utah that's five times the size of, of Washington, D.C. Now, the Russian Foreign Minister, Sergei Lavrov, issued a strong warning against a military attack on Iran Monday, saying that the, a preemptive strike would violate um, comments made during, it violates the treaties, I guess what it is, and international law. And his comments made during a visit to Armenia stopped short of threatening the U.S., it says here, uh, and or Israel of consequences. But they backed up and were in tune with explicit threat from Iran's Supreme Leader, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, last Thursday, of strong Iranian resistance to foreign intervention in Syria and vowed to defend Damascus as a center of resistance against Israel. So uh, things are going on as usual, you know, just pretty well much the same uh, as usual. And this article, too, has to do with another Internet law. I mean, why bother reading them? Really? I don't even want to read them, to be honest with you, because if we haven't got through our thick skulls by now, what they're doing with their massive intrusion into all our lives. We'll never will. But says, an onrush of condemnation and criticism kept the SOPA and PIPA acts from passing earlier this year. But U.S. lawmakers have already authored another authoritarian bill that could give them free reign to creep the web in the name of cybersecurity. Well, if they build that thing in Utah, they ain't going to dismantle it now. Because you've got rights. <laughs> As says, as congressmen in Washington consider how to handle the ongoing issue of cyber attacks, some legislators have lent their support to a new act that, if passed, would let the government pry into the personal correspondence of anyone of their choosing. This is H.R. 3523, a piece of legislation dubbed the Cyber Intelligence Sharing and Protection Act. So it's only protects you, so it's okay. Or KISPA, for, for short, has been created under the guise of being a necessary implement in America's war against cyber attacks. So it's, so it's not terrorism anymore. And it's not Iran and so on. No, it's actually cyber attacks from, well, people living amongst you. It's all of you. But the vague verbiage contained within the pages of the paper could allow Congress to circumvent existing exemptions to online privacy laws 
and essentially monitor, censor and stop any online communication that it considers disruptive to the government or private parties. What is disruptive to the government or private parties? It's also any, any information that's put out containing any truth about the government. It can disrupt suit. Critics have already come under CISPA for the capabilities that it will give to seemingly any federal entity that claims it is threatened by online interactions. But unlike the Stop Online Privacy Act and the Protect IP Acts that were discarded on the Capitol building floor after incredible success online, campaigns to crush them, widespread recognition of what the latest would-be law uh, will do has yet to surface to the same degree. Well, it's always really the same thing. They keep going until they get what they want. Same thing when they vote to the EU and all the countries got a chance to vote. You kept saying no. Well, you're getting it anyway. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watch. We're cutting through the matrix. And what's happening to some countries will come home to us, of course. It's coming home slowly, but what's happened already to other countries under so-called austerity measures where they've plundered and raped the people uh, and given them no hope at all, such as Greece. Uh, it's causing some stirs as people commit suicide. We had it in Italy too. Two guys burned themselves to death. But here's in, in Greece it says, uh, earlier today, a 70-70-year-old Greek, now identified as Demetrius Christolos, uh, who at around 9 a.m. took his life in the middle of Athens' central Syntagma Square with a bullet to his head. His full suicide note has been released. The note presented below ends in a solemn call to arms to hang the traitors of this country. The Tsleka Glue government has annihilated all traces for my survival, he says which was based on a very dignified pension that I alone paid for 35 years with no help from the state. And since my advanced age does not allow me a way of dynamically reacting, although if a fellow Greek were to grab a Kalashnikov, I would be right behind him, I see no other solution than than this dignified end to my life. So I don't find myself fishing through garbage cans for my sustenance. I believe that the young people with no future will one day take up arms and hang the traitors of this country at Syntagma Square, just like the Italians did to Mussolini in 1945. And uh, it says here uh, that uh, the suicide occurred shortly before 9 a.m. as people went about their business on the square. Crystalus, 77 years old, shot himself while standing next to a tree on one of the grassy areas of the square, and he died from a single shot to the head. I mean, literally had no hope. The pensions and everything's grabbed. Gone. Everything he paid into, gone. Because of this EU corrupt central banking system. He was a retired pharmacist, a pharmacist with a wife and daughter, and he sold his pharmacy in 1994. So, this is Leo's head, uh, Yorgos Karatsefres noted in Parliament that the bullet that killed the man in Stigmatagma also hit the conscience of the Greek political sphere. This is not just a person that killed himself, he said. This event should make us understand that we have all been behind this. We have all pulled the trigger. What did this man see from us before deciding to take his own life? Well, there's no hope if you look at Parliament at all. They're all corrupt. And that's part of the problem, too, because they're all in in the big agencies and organizations, the world organization to do with central banking. And um, 
they're all under technocrats now anyway. So, But imagine your whole life savings and, and your pension that the bankers have, have invested many, many, many times over all these years. As soon as you put a penny in, they've got it invested somewhere and they take the profits from it for all the years that you're putting it in. And then they end, you end up with nothing. And um, it's, it's just uh, disgusting. But again, it's going to come everywhere as the whole world is pushed into the next part of this plan because uh, people talked about this plan a long time ago, guys who were in on it. Uh, I've mentioned Professor Carl Quigley quite a few times. He understood the plan. He goes through the history of banking, in fact, in his book, Tragedy and Hope, and how they changed their views and their functions as they, they, they grew in power over all the nations. And uh, it's pretty disgusting. But anyway, that's what's going to come to every other country up down the road. The U.S. draws up plans for nuclear drones. Well, that had to come, right? This is a conventionally powered MQN-9 Reaper drone. Reaper, the Grim Reaper. They love these names, eh? Which has a flight time of 14 hours when loaded could fly far longer with nuclear energy. Interesting, isn't it? Nuclear energy powered. American scientists have drawn up plans for the new generation of nuclear powered drones capable of flying over remote regions off the world for months on end without refueling. The blueprints for the new drones, which have been developed by Sandia National Laboratories, the U.S. government's principal nuclear research and development agency, and defense contractor Northrop Grumman. You know, Northrop Grumman, like all these big boys, have been on the go since before World War II, always in the weapons industry. They were designed to create flying time from days to month, uh, months while making more power available for operating equipment, according to Project Summary, published by Sundia. It's pretty terrific, terrifying prospects at Chris Coles of Drone Wars UK, which campaigns against increasing use of drones for both military and civilian purposes. Drones are much less safe than other aircraft and tend to crash a lot. There's a major push by the industry to increase the use of drones, and both the public and the government are struggling to keep up with the implications. Great, great contracts you get to kill folk and stuff, isn't it? I mean, it's never-ending. You just keep making money hand over fist. And then this Article 2, Police State 2012, weapons on police drones coming soon. And it's from the U.S. It says, um, when you see this thing in the sky, is it a bird, is it a plane? And actually have a video of this little thing. It looks kind of like a hovercraft, but it's up 20 feet or 30 feet up in the air. It says, a bill Congress passed this week makes it easier for the government to fly unmanned spy planes in the U.S. airspace. And the agency projects that 30,000 drones could be in the, na- the national skies by 2020. And, and it's interesting, too, there's another article to do with the fact that they want, now want to arm them. I think it was Houston that first came out with that. Now they've got drones, they want to arm them. That'll be the next step, they said. So, of course, the people, they're not interested in you, like that specialist said. No, they, they're not really interested in you, what you're up to as they hover over your back garden and watch you with infrared and all the other techniques through your walls. No, they're not interested in you at all. That's why they want thousands and thousands of drones. They're not interested in you. No, no, no. Back with more after this break. listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're back cutting through the matrix and wading through all the nonsense they give us as news to find some truth somewhere here or there, you see. But uh, it's great how we're trained, isn't it? Great. Even at school I can remember they brought politicians around who gave us speeches I can't remember. And they'd all wear these wonderful suits and ties all the time. And, and, and none of them looked like your dads in those areas, working class areas at all. And it made them special, you see. That's how they present them as special people to you. Because they come out with special wombs. And, um, and you listen to them, that's the idea. And you're trained from, from a young age to, to believe in them. You understand, don't be afraid of the guy with, with the uniform on, the camouflage and all that walking around the street. Be afraid of the guy with the business suit on. Because they're the real terrorists. They're the real mass murderers across the planet. But here's an article that says, U.S. regulators have announced charges against the Royal Bank of Canada. Interesting name, Royal Bank, eh? Canada, accusing the major Canadian bank of washing hundreds of millions of dollars through fraudulent trading. The U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission, CFTC, on Monday said it had filed a complaint in federal district court in New York accusing the Royal Bank of Canada of conducting a multi-hundred million dollar wash sale scheme in connection with exchange-traded stock futures contracts. The Canadian Bank and Financial Services Company does business in New York, where a lot of washing was in there too, of course. The the trading scheme was allegedly designed as part of the RBC's strategy to realize lucrative Canadian tax benefits from holding certain public companies' securities in its Canadian and offshore trading accounts, the CFTC said. CFTC also charged that the bank concealed material information from and made material false statements to a a futures exchange. From at least June 2007 to May 2010, RBC allegedly non-competitively traded hundreds of millions of dollars worth narrow-based stocked index futures, NBI and single stock futures, SSF, contracts with two of its subsidiaries that RBC reported as block trades on one Chicago, one Chicago's is called. Now, what they're doing is that they're selling stuff that's worthless and pumping it up through the usual hype. That's a wonderful thing to buy. It's just basically junk trading and, and, and really increasing the value, but not the, the worth, really, the actual productive worth of the stock. The CFTC's complaint alleges that the RBCs and NBI and SSF trading activity, which accounted for the majority of One Chicago's volume, this, this, this company called One Chicago, during the relevant period, constitute unlawful non-competitive trades, wash sales and fictitious sales. Fictitious sales, eh? And you know, they won't get a slap on the wrist for this. <laughs> I mean, promising to pay something doesn't exist, eh? In a statement, RBC said it would vigorously defend its reputation and called the allegations absurd, I will say that, as it had sought guidance from regulators before making any of the transactions now called into question. The CFTC has been aware of these transactions since 2005. These transactions were done in accordance with market terms, regulations, regulations and process, the bank said. And they're documented, etc., etc., etc. But... Um, but they've been caught in the act regardless. But, they, you know, these big boys just go, go to court and, and they drag on for a few well, a few years sometimes. And eventually they, it comes to no conclusion and they, they carry on as usual. The banks are really privileged institutions, as they call them, privileged. That means they know that all the privileged people at the top, they make laws and rules and regulations. And they get away with it pretty pretty easy. It's quite, it's quite something, though, really. The, the world that we live in is completely different from the world that they project to you. And this one here uh, is to do with um, Solyndra. 
you know, Solyndra, remember, was some, the, the big company to do with solar industry, massive grants given to it by Obama's administration, and then it went under. And that was just the appetizer. It says, earlier today in what will become uh, as a surprise, only members of the administration, the company which proudly held the rights to the world's largest solar power project, the hilariously named Solar Trust of America, filed for bankruptcy. And while one could say that the company's epic collapse is more a function of alternate energy politics in Germany, where its 70% parent solar millennium AG fell from bankruptcy last December. Do you know why they fell for bankruptcy? They've actually found in Germany that their own government's administrations were putting the companies which they were funded under because they were giving through the United Nations and the World Trade Organization, just as we do with China and India and everywhere else, massive grants for the solar industry in China. That's why they put themselves out of business. It's great, isn't it? So this is what is relevant is that the last April STA was a proud recipient of a $2.1 billion conditional loan from the Department of Energy. Incidentally, the second largest loan ever handed out by the DOE's Stephen Chu. That, um, I'll give him a lot to chew on, eh? That amount was supposed to be to fund the expansion of the company's 1,000 MW Blythe solar power pro- projects in Riverside, California, from the funding press release. It says, this project construction is expected to create over 1,000 direct jobs in Southern California, 7.5 indirect jobs in related industries throughout the U.S., and more than 200 long-term operational jobs at the facility itself. This is the propaganda, they said. It will play a key role in stimulating the American economy, said U.T. Schmidt, chairman of the, uh, and CEO of Solar Trust of America, and executive chairman of Project Development Subsidiary Solar Millennium. Instead, what Solar Trust will do is create lots of billable hours for bankruptcy attorneys at $1,000 an hour. That's what it costs for these bankruptcy attorneys. And a good old equity extraction from the $22 million DIP lender, which just happens to be Next Era Energy Resources, another alternative energy company, which last year received $935 million in a loan courtesy of the very same and now $2.1 billion poorer Department of Energy. In other words, taxpayers' money. Don't try and start a business up on your own. Get into something that they've made. This is the direction we're going, like it or not, where it kills us or whatever. We're taking along this direction. Get into a job like that and and then apply for grants and loans. That's how you get rich today. And it's been that way for a while. Don't do hard work. No point. You end up with that, that poor pharmacist, the, 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 the guy, the pensioner in, in Greece, uh, killing yourself. Because they steal whatever you make. They steal it from you. Theft is theft. Stealing is stealing. I don't care how they, they verbalize it. It's stealing. Look at things as they really are. And because the government's the biggest gang in town, they think they can get away with it, you see. And now I want to go back to a couple of articles here. A History of Banking and Money by Carol Quigley, Tragedy and Hope. It says, the powers of financial capitalism had a far-reaching aim, nothing less than to create a world system of financial control in private hands, able to dominate the political system of each country and the economy of the world as a whole. The system was to be controlled by, in a feudalist fashion, feudalist fashion, right, by the central banks of the world acting in concert by secret agreements arrived at in frequent private meetings and conferences. 
And that's a quote from his Tragedy and Hope, chapter 20. Carl Quigley was a professor of history at Georgetown University from 1941 to 1976. Now, this is going to show you that he was a high member of the Council on Foreign Relations. He was all for this global agenda. He, he was also an elitist himself in his way of thinking, superior types, inferior types. And that's why he wrote Tragedy and Hope, not to warn people. He was all for it. He was also the historian for the Council on Foreign Relations. It told us about how they set up wars, even in the 1800s. And they're working to get a World War I going back in the 1800s, in fact, by giving lots of articles in the newspapers about how bad Germans were across the world. So here he is. He says he was a frequent lecturer at the U.S. Naval Weapons Laboratory. That's an average professor, right? The Foreign Service Institute, again, that's an average professor. And the Naval College at Norfolk, Virginia. In 1958, he served as a consultant to the Congressional Select Committee, which set up the National Space Agency, the NSA. Below are key ex- experts from the history of money and banking from his masterpiece, Tragedy and Hope, A History of the World in Our Time. And it's got, uh, this article I'll put up tonight too has the chapters that the quotes actually come from. But it says, Commercial capitalism, Western civilization is the richest and most powerful social organization ever made by man. One reason for the success has been the, its economic organization which has passed through six successive stages, of which at least four are called capitalism. Each stage created the conditions which tended to bring about the next stage. And it goes from the first stage, from self-sufficient agrarian units, and they call them manors. The, people, the guy who's in charge of the manor was in charge of the, the little area, except lords and, and that kind of stuff, aristocracy. And then he goes on to the third stage, industrial capitalism. The stage of industrial capitalism soon gave rise to such an insatiable demand for heavy fixed capital, like railroad lines, steel mills, shipyards, and so on, that these investments could not be financed from the profits and private fortunes of individual proprietors. New instruments for financing industry came into existence in the form of limited liability corporations and investment banks, which obviously, and this is from me, they also worked with governments because they didn't have the cash. So big projects take cash bear, cash money from the taxpayer. Since these were soon in a position to control the chief parts of the industrial system since they provided capital to it, even if they borrowed obviously from the general purse. And it gave rise to financial capitalism. The control of financial capitalism was used to integrate the industrial system into ever larger units with interlinking financial controls. This made possible a reduction of competition with a resulting increase in profits. You always eliminate competition, you understand. And that's what they still do today. They eliminate any way they can. That means every way they can. Competition. And it says, as a result, the industrial system was soon found that it was able to finance its own expansion from its own profits, and with this achievement, financial controls were weakened, and the stage of monopoly capitalism arrived. In its fifth stage, great industrial units, working together either directly or through cartels and trade associations, were in a position to exploit the majority of the people. So it says, exploit the majority of the people, right? The result was a great economic crisis which soon developed into a struggle for control of the state. The minority hoping to use political power to defend their privileged positions, the majority hoping to to use the state to curtail the power and privileges of the minority. This dualist struggle dwindled with the rise of economic and social pluralism after 1945. That's when they had the Bretton Woods Agreement and all the rest of it, 
and brought in their new central banking systems across the world under the Bank of International Settlements. The primary goal of capitalism, it says it provides very powerful motivations for economic activity because it associates economic motivation so closely with self-interest, but the same feature which is a source of strength in providing economic motivation through the pursuit of profits is also a source of weakness owing to the fact that so, that so cent- self-centered a motivation contributes very readily to loss of economic coordination. Each individual, just because he's so powerfully motivated by self-interest, easily loses sight of the role which his own activities play in the economic system as a whole and tends to act as if his abilities were the whole, with inevitable injury to that whole. Capitalism, because it seeks profits and it's, as its primary goal, is never primarily seeking to achieve prosperity, high production and high consumption, political power, patriotic involvement or moral uplift. Any of these may be achieved under capitalism, and any or all of them may be sacrificed and lost under capitalism, depending on the relationship of the primary goal of the capitalist activity, the pursuit of profits. But he actually goes on to talk about how they got together these big central banks that were created and forced upon the countries, of course, in advance to joining up together under the Bank of International Settlements. And the Bank of International Settlements meets quietly every year, closed-door sessions of the rich men of the world, and their goal is to control the world under using money as a form of control and putting more power into their own hands as they take over control of the entire planet. So I'll put these links up tonight, and you can wade through them at your leisure because it's from a guy in the know who worked with them. He was on board with them. He was a member of them and the historian for all the things that they were up to official historian, and he got access to their archives. Very few did. The other, the person who introduced him to the archives was Zimmerman. Zimmerman was a communist and something else as well, but he was a communist and he was a guy who introduced him into the archives system. Zimmerman was also the per, one of the personal advisors to Winston Churchill, uh, even though it says Winston Churchill hates communist, hated communists. It's strange he brought Zimmerman on board. And Zimmerman wrote the communist paper. He was in charge of the communist paper for the UK. Anyway, that's how they all are at the top. There's no uh, no reds, no blues, or whatever else. They're all one big con game, con game for the public. But I'll put this one up as well, as I say, and you can have a, a little gander at that. And here's an interesting article, too, to do with... Uh, everyone's heard, I'm sure, of, of Morgellons disease. Uh, a few people came out with strange, it's even been on mainstream television, about these strange nanofibers that seem to come out of people's bodies. Now, you do have nanoparticles in your body naturally. That's a lot of particular uh, little critters move through. They can move through the, the cells, uh, between the cellular space, in fact. But, of course, the new nanotechnology is putting synthetics into our bodies. And some people had this, this, these fibers growing out of their systems. Now, nanotube tech, here, here's something that leads up to that, leading to faster, lower-cost medical diagnosis. So they're, they're going to use nanotechnology with little fibers, nanotubes they call them. The first time these nanotubes were mentioned was by Teller, who invented the H-bomb back in the 50s. And he worked with the Pentagon to, to find a way to use the ELF frequencies across the world by spraying the world first, with polymers, he called them. But the polymers could also be nanoparticles. There were tubes which would encase viruses for biological warfare. It was way back, you know. 
So tap the next report, power of carbon uh, nanotubes to increase the speed of biological sensors, a technology that might one day allow a doctor to routinely perform lab tests in minutes, speeding diagnosis and treatments while reducing costs. The new findings have almost tripled the speed of prototype nanobiosensors and should find applications not only in medicine, but in toxicology, environmental monitoring, new drug development and other fields. So this is a research was just reported in Lab on a Chip, a professional journal. More refinements are necessary before these systems are ready for commercial production, scientists say, but they hold great potential. This, this means that it's already obsolete whenever they give this to the public or announce it. It's obsolete at a higher level, you see. But here's little nanotubes, as they call it, carbon nanotubes, which they can insert into your skin. They take off and wander about your body and send back signals of how this is working and that's working. After poo-pooing Morgellons for years. And that's something. We truly live in a fascinating world of very good deception. Some, some rather poor as well, just that we're taught to accept it. Some is rather poor. And also uh, to mention too, how judges, again you look up to judges because you're given this strange aura, like holy people who wear that weird gown and all that stuff. They get the gavel that the masons all use to bang the bench and, and, um, and everything stops and they got to listen to this guy, even though he, if he's a pervert or whatever. A Tennessee judge was so addicted to prescription drugs during his final two years on the bench, he was having sex and buying pills during courtroom breaks, at times purchasing from convicts he had previously sentenced an investigation found. Now this guy won't go to prison. He's just too important, you see. It gives a bad name. It gives the profession a bad name if you get put in prison. But I'll put this link up too. It's quite fascinating. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, we're back cutting through the matrix and we've got Joe from California on the line. Are you there, Joe? Yeah, Alan, can you hear me? Yes, I can, yep. I just haven't listened for a while, so I don't know if you've commented at all recently about this movie that's been out recently, it's been getting so much hype, this Hunger Games movie. Um, the whole concept of the story, I just was told about it. Uh, it just, it kind of, I'm surprised there's not any protest against the movie. I mean, mm-hmm. you've got basically yeah. children killing each other uh, yeah. at the behest of adults for their entertainment. That's my mm-hmm. interpretation of it. Uh, it's pretty dark and compared to other movies that came out in the past that got slammed by critics and social people, you know, people for social reasons, whatever. Mm-hmm. This one, for some reason, seems to be getting a pass, and I'm just Yeah, it's like a lot of other movies. This particular one came from a game in in Japan. It was called uh, Battle Royale, they called it. And so I guess the boys on this side uh, in the warfare industry decided to use that as a technique too because in all these movies, they're predictive programming and it's meant to go for the young people more than the elder people. And they're teaching it in classrooms. They're going through all all the discussions in the class, etc., and uh, they're getting this really into their heads. It's, it's to make them think more about being about living a life of poverty, they call austerity, 
uh, or this could happen, you see. This is how they're pushing the thing to the children. And uh, they don't care about the, the older folk. They'll die off. That's just how they always do it. They always go for the young and prepare them for what they're going to experience in life. And to get them to participate as part of um, the, the new method of moral relativity, you, you get them involved in the conversation or the argument in school until they come around to the, the desired way of thinking, which is the goal of the whole and, and intention of the thing in the first place. So it's to do with overpopulation. They push that. They push this is what it comes to when you don't take care of the planet, etc. Uh, and uh, and it comes to this when you don't have enough food supply, yada, yada, yada. And, uh, so of course, there's, I don't think there's any elderly people in it because they all die off in the movie, obviously, of starvation before the youngsters are left. So it's a totally predictive programming uh, movie. And uh, you can always tell, as I say, as soon, when it's launched, they're already, they're already starting teaching it. So the toolkits for teachers are already made for them before the movie is launched. So this is a, a, an essential part of them growing up. So they'll be hardened to people dying off because of hunger. And uh, and they won't care so much. Well, it just had to be that way, and they're old, you know, and yada yada. They're also teaching them the same courses in school to do with uh, how the older generation plundered the planet and had it really too good and left it in a mess. That's also part of, of the, the the course as well. So it's, again, this stuff goes through the United Nations, who helped get, get an input in on it, and then it's put out to the public, and and it's headed for the youngsters so that they won't mind when the older folks start dying off first, because after all, their lives are useless, they've destroyed the planet, and they deserve to die. And that's basically it. Yeah. Yeah. I understand this was based on a book that came out about three years ago, so it seems like they, they really sort of got on it real fast to make a movie out of this thing and hype it up and get it out there. Yeah. Yeah, and and these books too, of course, um, it's, like, it's like the Harry Potter movies. You know, they always give you a completely fake story, of someone either writing in their car because they're homeless or rubbish, utter rubbish like that. Uh, and this has got a similar kind of beginning to it as well. But I've noticed this kind of theme in lots of movies, uh, science fiction movies that, that they've done, where the future is uh, just the guys in the black gear with the machine guns working for the government and the peasants living amongst rubble in a post-industrial, post-commercial society. That's a typical theme. So bring children into the fighting. Who can be king of them all? And the youngsters really get hooked on this idea. And um, and it's just preparing them for what's coming down the road. Absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a very bright future for young people in this movie because they're the ones who are sort of being forced into this sort of, you know, we can do whatever we want with you and yeah. you know, up until a certain age. And even yeah. if we say fight each other to the death, You'll, you'll do it. Yeah, that, yeah, that all comes into it. Uh, that older people are obsolete. They've got old think. They suffer from old think, and uh, they've had it too good. We'll never see the good days. They had it all. That's what they, that's what they're taught. It's actually taught in cartoons too, which is shown in school. Massive campaign to indoctrinate the young. But uh, thanks for calling. Uh, and from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>